Megan, I have been using our sponsor Element, that's L-M-N-T, to boost my hydration for over a month now, and I'm really loving it. I'm just not very good at drinking plain water, and I love the taste when I pop one of these little packets, I like orange or grapefruit, into a big bottle of water. It's kind of fruity and salty, and it just helps me hydrate better overall. Element is a zero-sugar electrolyte drink mix born from the growing body of research that shows the best health outcomes occur with higher sodium levels. Each little pack delivers a significant dose of electrolytes, but minus sugar, artificial colors, and other iffy ingredients. Element's flavors are so unique, like fruity watermelon salt and spicy sweet mango chili. And we're going to set our listeners up with a variety pack so you can find your favorite. Right. You can receive a free Element sample pack containing eight flavors with any drink mix purchase when you purchase through our custom link, drinkelement.com slash momhour. That's D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T slash momhour. This offer is available exclusively through our partnership and is available for both new and returning customers. And if you're an Element Insider, you'll have first access to Element Sparkling, a bold can of sparkling electrolyte water. Again, it's drinklmnt.com slash momhour. Hi, I'm Sarah. And I'm Megan. We're two moms with eight kids between us, from little to grown. We're in different areas of the country and in different stages of life. But we both know that motherhood's a lot easier when real moms share tips and encouragement. And remind you that it's really all going to be okay. We're not experts. We're parents who've been there. We're not perfect. We're real. Welcome to the Mom Hour. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. I am Megan Francis here, as always, with Sarah Powers. Hey, Sarah. Hey, Megan. How are you? I am good, and I'm excited because today we are popping into your feed on a Friday to talk about something that we love to talk about, and that is reading and literacy. So we've got a special episode for you today that we're partnering with Save the Children on, and we've got something really cool to tell you about what Save the Children is doing around literacy Um, And we'll get to that in a little bit, but we really want to acknowledge that reading with your kids, um, reading to your kids, encouraging a literate home isn't always super easy to do. We've all got lots of things going on in our lives. And sometimes depending on your stage of motherhood, the age of your kids, like what else is happening? It's easier said than done. Right, exactly. This doesn't happen in a vacuum. When you're supposed to be reading aloud to your kid, you may also have a baby, a full-time job, be in the middle of a move. And we know that life happens. And I also want to say, you know, if you guys know us well, you know, Megan and I are lifelong book lovers and readers. And because both of us are like that, we can't do the thing where we play on each other's opposites. And I just want to say that we know that's not the only way to be. um, And that some of you out there may not be passionate readers and still looking for ways to surround your kids with books and create kind of an environment of literacy if it's not something that comes naturally to you. Just like hiking and camping doesn't come naturally to me and I still want my kids to experience those things. Um, So I think that's important to say too, because we we both love books, but that doesn't mean that you guys have to in the same way that we do. Um, And and to that end, I want to share a little funny story. Megan, I don't think I ever updated you that I did have a mother-daughter book swap party. It was a goal of mine last year. I don't think I knew that you did it. No. Yeah. And I had at first I thought I wanted to do some kind of a book club. And I just thought, you know, I don't want to put that on other moms and daughters to assign a book and have everyone read the same thing. It just felt like 
I wouldn't like to receive that invitation. It would feel like an obligation. So I dialed it back and I said, let's just do a book exchange one time, not like a book club. And so it was moms and daughters who are 10, were 10 and 11 at the time. And we had it at my house. And when we kind of, we did the book exchange with the girls like white elephant style. So they each brought one to, to give up. And then they did a little fun little game to sort of swap the books. But before we started it, I had the moms go around and just share a memory or something that they remember about reading when they were kids. And probably about a third of the room, the moms who are, you know, our age, shared that they did not grow up in homes with a lot of books or in homes where reading was prioritized. And that as a mom, they felt really kind of sheepish about that. And like, they didn't know how to encourage their daughters to read. But the really cool part was we had this room full of girls who are reading and sharing books. And so they, these moms clearly have already done a really great job. But I just want to point that out as not everybody does come from this literature rich background. And that doesn't mean that you're at a disadvantage. There's still so many ways to raise your kids to love reading, even if it's not the way you were raised. And I actually found it really poignant. These moms saying, I, I don't love to read, but yet I'm still wanting this to be a part of my kids' lives. So it was was interesting. Yeah. And, you know, we've talked about before about how we ourselves have gone in and out of reading stages. So it can happen even if your background is there. And if you're not in a particularly reedy (laughs) um, stage of life personally, where you don't feel personally motivated to read because you've got so much else going on, um, that's okay too. And and we're still going to give you some tips for how to like work through that and, and do things for your kids to kind of set them up anyway. I think ultimately we want this to be a really like joyful thing that you think about with raising your kids, a thing that's fun. And I think somehow as a culture, parenting culture, often reading becomes more of a chore and obligation or something you do to avoid your kid falling behind. And there's reasons for that, but I think you and I both um, come at it with like, this is something we want to enjoy. So we've got some, some tips for you guys. Yeah. But before we get to the tips, we are excited to talk a little more about our partnership with Save the Children. You know that Sarah and I are both enthusiastic about raising kids who love to read, so we're glad to be working with Save the Children on a new effort created to support childhood literacy both in school and at home. I've been aware of Save the Children as long as I can remember, and I've supported the organization in the past, both through one-time donations and child sponsorship. And this partnership is really cool because we get to help Save the Children celebrate their 100th year by participating in the Read a Story, Change Their Story program. Read a Story, Change Their Story is an easy way that moms and kids can work together to help families in need get access to the books they need, and you can start today. Yeah, we all know that having books at home is one of the best ways parents can raise readers. But right now in our country, 60% of kids who live in poverty don't have access to a single book to read at home. And that is really a shame because when they start school behind, it's so much harder for them to get caught up. When kids have access to more books earlier, they're more likely to become better readers. Right. And Save the Children is dedicated to helping all children have access to the resources they need to become strong readers. And they've made it really easy for those of us who already have books at home to help while also getting the double bonus of spending more time reading with our kids. Again, the program is called Read a Story, Change Their Story. And it's super simple to participate. All you have to do is read with your kids at home, track your reading time at savethechildren.org read. And then generous organizations and partners will donate books to U.S. schools and also support Save the Children's education initiatives. Save the Children's goal is to log 100 million minutes as part of this program, and it's so easy to get started. Just go to savethechildren.org read to read more about the program, sign up, and begin logging your reading time. You'll also find out more about the Read a Story, Change Their Story initiative right on that page. So we know it's a busy time of year, and you might all be wondering where you're going to fit another thing in. So at the mid-show break, we're going to be back with some tips on how to get started helping kids in need simply by reading 
which sounds like such a win-win to me and fitting it in around everything else you've got going on. Again, it's savethechildren.org slash read if you want to get started now. And you can also listen up for our tips later in the show. Okay, so Megan, you and I put our heads together and we thought back and, and really thought about some of the challenges that come up, especially in, in the trenches years of motherhood when it comes to making reading a part of the family routine and a priority in your home. Um, and we came up with a bunch, not surprisingly. Um, and some of those <laughs> challenges I'm still experiencing right now. But going back to the old days, um, I think one of the most challenging stages of all of motherhood is when you've got say a toddler, maybe a preschooler and a new baby. This is like, this is when stuff gets real in so many, so many ways. And with reading in particular, if you maybe made an effort to have a bedtime story, part of the routine with the first kid, all of a sudden you level up in difficulty. And, And I feel like it's such a fraught time too, because like for me, the toddler and preschool years were always when I felt the most, not only motivated, but almost obligated to be doing the reading at home because they weren't getting it anywhere else. Like I was the the sole, they couldn't read for themselves and I was the sole provider of that. And so like, I felt like I had to do it, but then I had this baby. Mm-hmm. How was I going to do that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, it is tough. And then, you know, the baby quickly becomes like a six month old or a crawling nine month old. And it, I don't think it gets easier for a while, actually. I have I just have these memories of ripped pages just when I was wanting to be reading longer picture books with my preschoolers and just having like a, a little terror ripping right, up yeah. pages. So it, <laughs> this this continues even even past the newborn stage. So I don't know what what have we to say about this challenge? Well, I think the first thing I want to like set up with is just to say that it's OK to prioritize. I know we talked about this a lot. But it's okay to recognize that your toddler or newborn or preschool or one-year-old or whatever it is are two separate beings with two separate needs and that being read aloud to may be something you prioritize for one kid over the other. In other words, you don't always have to feel pressured to do it for both of them equally all the time. And I think that's a trap I kind of backed myself into when I had kids at those that, that age gap. I think that's such a smart point. And I'm thinking back to the second kid may not get quite the nightly bedtime story routine that the first kid got as an infant. And we're going to talk mm-hmm. in a little bit about what it's like to read to a tiny infant. But think about that second kid and what they are, the language they're exposed to, mm-hmm. and probably the sheer minutes of book-related fun they're exposed to almost balances it out the other side. So I love, I love what you just said. I wanted to mention a couple practical tips that I remembered. And one was, um, this age and stage is so chaotic that I found myself storing books, um, very differently than how you think about lining them up nicely on a shelf or displaying them prettily. I really stored baby and toddler books, almost like I would toys in a basket that Mm -hmm. was easy to access. I think it's really great for kids to feel unintimidated by grabbing a book, opening it up, looking at a page, throwing it back in the basket. My books were well-loved and nothing was too precious at that stage. So for those of us who have this kind of reverence for books and literature, that might be a leap. But again, I took it as I want my kids to experience books in the home everywhere. And so that meant storing them differently. Yeah, that's so funny. I don't think I actually gave it much thought in that way, but we had like the books they were like the heirloom quality books that were given to us that yeah. stayed on a shelf and mom pulled those up and read them or read them out loud or whatever it was when they were little um, holy terrors ripping pages. <laughs> but 
all the, the board books were just tossed in, in toilet boxes because to me, they were there not for me to control. They weren't there for me to have like power over, like now I pull this down, but it was for them to choose and for them to decide that they wanted to play with. And they really did read books as though they were playing with toys. Do you, do you have ever have toddlers who would get out a book and pretend to read it? And like, either they would say the words they remembered or they would say complete nonsense, but in the same little cadence and sing song and like they do it, yeah. read it to a baby doll or read it to a sibling. And it's just so, there's nothing cuter than like a two and a half year old thinking they're reading the words. And also it actually shows you that they have that, I forget which one it's called, print awareness, or there's there's a name for understanding that the words on the page mean something long before mm-hmm. you would ever decode the language. They're, they're mimicking and it's so cute. It is very cute. And yes, I remember that well. I have one more practical tip and that is um, board books are associated often with just the very earliest newborns. And we're going to talk about them in a minute. But um, I think as time has gone on, I've seen a lot of board book versions of... Uh, more advanced picture book stories, which means the book is durable. It can be chewed on and stepped on and thrown thrown around. But the story is is what maybe a three or four year old would enjoy reading. In other words, it's not just one of those with like one word on every page type of board book. It's actually your your favorite classic runaway bunny, good night moon, whatever in board book form. And I started to accumulate those more as time went on because I wanted to read those books to the two and three year old, but they wouldn't get wrecked by the baby. So that's another tip. Yeah. We had a bunch of those too. I remember one of them in particular was the Baby Animals book. That was that classic. Yes. Oh, I um, love that one. The Little Golden yes. Book. Uh-huh. But we had a board book version of that and we hung on to it for a long time because frankly, I still liked to look at it. I so love, I love definitely, illustrations. Yeah. Yes, definitely. There are a lot of variety in in board books. Yeah. And and increasingly so. Um, so I, I always look to those. And when stuff does get ripped, I think it's just part of, it's part of the consumption of books. Mm -hmm. So we even kind of laugh. Sometimes we'll open a picture book and there's crayon or a rip and the kids will say, who did that? Which one? (laughs) Like, did I do that? You know? (laughs) So I don't know. We got to let it go at some point. Um, Okay. So should we move on to this next challenge? It is. Yes, let's do it. It is a big Uh, one. Bedtime. Bedtime. Okay. So a, a lot of us kind of internalize this idea that bedtime is the time when reading happens, but we also know that bedtime is the worst. (laughs) Like bedtime, it, is not a great time of day to really be trying to get anything done. You know what I mean? It's it's more of a time to be putting things to rest, literally. And so if you're exhausted and you have a kid who won't settle or whatever, then really creating a lot of obligation or pressure or stress around that time, also having to kind of be the, the one window for literacy is hard. It's a challenge. Yes. Just like anything else that you would all of a sudden put on bedtime. There is enough to do enough boxes to check. Um, so how did you handle this? And you, you know, for those who are new, Megan has five children at some point, you were putting five kids to bed of different ages. So how did you handle this? So one of the things I did is I realized there was like absolutely no way that I could go from room to room to room and do a separate bedtime story process, um, with each kid. And I mean, that would have taken up like an hour and a half of my night Mm -hmm. and I was already tired. So, and also what that would also invite is like toddlers, like not wanting to stay down because they're waiting for their book or whatever it was. So we, I let, used to let all the kids pile into my bed and we would do the read aloud time there. And sometimes I would start with the easiest stuff and the bigger kids would kind of hover around like they do and kind of pretend they weren't listening, but they kind of were. And it would kind of then grow into where we were reading something a little bit tougher. I wasn't reading like, Harry Potter with my, you know, two-year-old necessarily, but I was definitely reading things that 
was a little bit of a challenge for the littlest ones who really just wanted to be around their older siblings and around me, but something that would still appeal to the older kids. And then we would do like the tuck-ins were really fast. Mm-hmm. But it was basically like, go brush your teeth, blah, blah, blah. I'm coming in, I'm doing a tuck, 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 smooch, 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 and then we're done. And also I was more comfortable. There's mm-hmm. nothing worse in my memory than being like awkwardly perched on the edge of a twin bed when you're kind of sore and tired and yeah. just ready to hit the hay. And like, you're trying to be comfy, but you're having a hard time getting comfy. So I got to like be in my little yes. world where I was super comfy. And then they all got to come to me like my little, I don't know, like you were like, the queen. My, it was my kingdom. Yes. Yeah. I was the queen and they were my subjects. And then, uh, it just made it, I don't know, it was pleasant and it felt like a family experience more so than one-on-one, which, you know, has its benefits and its drawbacks, but the benefit was we got the time. I love that. And actually, um, there is some research to support a lot of what you just said. I read a book this summer called The Enchanted Hour, which is um, the author is Megan Cox Gordon, and she also has five children. And I think her youngest is mostly grown now, so she was looking back. But there's a lot of research about the what happens when we read aloud and what kind of reading aloud is really beneficial. And it's so much more of a broad experience than we think. And one of the things she talks a lot about is exposure to language and stories that are above your above your comprehension level. Um, And I don't know if she compared it this way, but I was thinking it's almost like learning a foreign language. Like when you're learning a foreign language and you immerse yourself, there's going to be so many turns of phrase that you don't understand. Like they're just way, but you're picking up context clues and your, your exposure to that such that like somewhere in your brain is building this scaffolding of language. And that's how she explained little kids. And she told really cool stories about reading treasure Island and these classics and about like two-year-olds who'd wander over and then they'd get bored. And it's not all, it's not all like idyllic, but there's, there's real reason that it's okay to pick, pick one book like that and let kids of different ages experience it. However, they're going to experience it. Well, what I always thought was funny is that first of all, yes, the toddler may actually be holding their own board book and pretending that they're reading while you're reading, you know? So it's, it's not necessarily going to be like your toddler is wrapped and, and hanging on every word. But I would also find that sometimes a younger kid would ask for clarification about something that was in a book that was maybe a little beyond them. And then when I explained it, I could see that the older kid also didn't know. Like, totally. so, like the younger kid got to ask the question, like, what does that mean? Or like, what, what's hap- what just happened? Because sometimes when, when books are a little involved and I mean, this happens to me, I get lost in language and miss the plot yeah. sometimes and have to go back and read something again, because I'm like, wait, I just read a bunch of words, but I have no idea what happened. And like the littler kids almost gave the older ones permission to learn without them having to ask, which I, I, I realized that was happening I love around that. me a lot. Um, so yeah, I love that. I'll have to check that book out. Yeah, it is great. Um, well, I think that's a great solution to bedtime. Um, and I, the, the one thing I was going to add to this thing is that, um, I read somewhere an expert saying that reading shouldn't be like for kids, it, you should avoid having it be a thing they have to do to get to a reward. In other words, like during the day, read for 30 minutes so you can do your screen time, for example, um, because reading in itself is like the reward. And I have used that as kids have gotten older. I've used that for bedtime time, meaning you may stay up a little bit later or we can stay up a little bit later together if what we're doing is reading. So it's mm. it's building in this kind of assumption that reading is a, is, is something we look forward to and a treat. It's not um, the thing we have to get done before bedtime. It's now, not the means to an, a mean to an end. It's the end itself, right? It's, exactly. You do it for the sake of doing it. Exactly. Yeah. And I think we all hope to have that moment where our kids are staying up past bedtime, like sneaking the light because they're so yeah. into their books. <laughs> it's like we want, we kind of want that in a way. Um, but the other side of that is I don't always want to stay up late 
reading. So yeah. I have to, uh, for me, because my kids go to bed relatively early, I have to back it up and start earlier if I want reading to happen. And there have been times in our family where we're really good about that and times where it's given short shrift. But um, I, I love your your family pile on so much for that for that reason. And let's just like throw the reassurance out there that like, again, bedtime is not the only reading time. And if you're finding you're getting to the end of the day and there's just no wick left on your candle, it's okay to keep it short or, Mm -hmm. you know, figure out ways to kind of, um, figure out ways to make it work for you. And, you know, if you have to skip it one night because you're just too exhausted, like your kid is not going to go backward (laughs) in time. And you might find that during some seasons of life, it just fits better into other pockets of your day, like breakfast when you're awake and alert and everyone's sitting there anyway, or whatever it is, like, however it is that you decide to fit it into your life. It's it's all okay. I agree. It's all going to be okay. All right. Well, this next challenge is kind of a fun one because we both looked back and we're like, oh yeah, that was funny. <laughs> um, and this is this idea that we start reading to newborns the day they come home. And I have this funny mental image of brand new parents, like getting all organized and the baby can't even, I mean, can't sit up for a long time, but can't even like, you can't even prop them correctly. They can't focus on a page. And yet we are told that we should begin this journey of reading aloud immediately. So how did this, what did it really look like with you with brand new babies? I mean, it's been a while since I've had a newborn. Um, and it's been a really long time since I had my first newborn. So with every newborn past number one, they were hearing me read to the other kids. Mm. I didn't think about it. Right. With the first one, I'm not sure I ever actually read to him with purpose. Mm-hmm. I think what it was more like was I would, I was talking to them all the time. Like I yeah. was holding my baby and talking to him because he was my little buddy and like he was around me constantly. So I didn't really have much choice. Right. So it was more like I was reading and I would get to a passage and say it out loud. But I, I think for myself, I kind of knew instinctively, even though I hadn't done a ton of reading on um, reading on reading mm-hmm. at that point, that really what's important is that they acquire language, that they understand that there's a story inside of a book or that the book, mm-hmm. like you were saying, like that what print means and mm-hmm. it's a communication. And so they need to hear the cadence of your voice. They need to hear stories. They need to hear sounds and words. But like, I don't think that needs to be you sitting down and reading your two week old storybook from beginning to end. In fact, I feel like that's so awkward. I can't imagine I would have ever done it. (laughs) Well, (laughs) you're right. It does not need to be that. And what it does need to be, I just read this statistic, is it does need to be a real human voice that's happening in real time. So, you know, TV, radio and audio books, the the way that the language is absorbed and acquired is different than the live interaction. But the live interaction does not, like you said, need to look like story time for a two week old. I remember really having books or reading be more of me figuring out what a nighttime routine was going to look like. And so for me, it was more about like kind of training my baby and also training myself that this is what our, well, this is what I want our evening to look like. And first of all, my babies did not have an evening routine for probably, I want to say two to three months, it was like, they're just sleeping in intervals. Right. And like the the last interval around when I wanted to go to bed became bedtime, but it wasn't a proper bedtime. Like it wasn't like the whole bath pajamas, but say around two or three months, then I would try and do, okay, so what's our evening going to look like? Is it a bath and then nursing and rocking and then a story or a story first? And so I'm not sure what I did. I probably had a couple board books and went through the motions, but I think it was more about having 
having that become an expected part of the routine for me and more of a comfort thing, you know, and when you read about sleep and infant sleep, it's like that, that repetition of the routine sort of cues their, their brain for sleep. And, and it's, I mean, we're talking about the benefits of reading, but also the benefits of their body being ready to rest and to sleep is also great. So it was that, does that make sense? It was more of a ritual than a let's read aloud from a storybook for for me. Well, and in my mind, a two to three month old is completely different. I mean, think about what it's like to hold a newborn. You're holding the newborn. The newborn is either nursing, asleep, crying, (laughs) or maybe it's that one brief moment out of the hour where they're just calmly looking at you and not fussing and then, of course, you're like so happy that they're looking at you. You're talking to them. You're making yeah. faces. You're engaging. I probably was not reaching into the, And I had a basket next to my little rocking chair. I remember this that had some board books in it. But I think it really wasn't until they were kind of engaged yeah. in the fact that there was a thing in front of them that I actually started reading it. But the thing is, that happens quick. I mean, mm-hmm. within a month or you know, six weeks, they're looking, yep. they're at least focusing their eyes. And within a couple of months, they're trying to grab at it. So that was when it, for me, it was like, oh, now we're, yep. now we're doing it. But I think everything else I did up till that point totally counted. So like, I don't want people to get all, I don't know, hung up on that. Agreed. I think I, to me, and maybe the experts will uh, come down and find me, but I almost feel like you get like a, like a two to three month grace period to, <laughs> to like where it's going to happen. You're going to find your right. way. Um, my favorite actually age of infants was between like mm, six, seven, eight months when they'd really start to get into those books that have a lot of, um, photographs of everyday objects. And I, I'll link one in the show notes. I have a favorite one. And all my babies said their first words by looking at this book and pointing and saying banana or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and they recognize things and you can even say, where's the doggy? And they'll start to point to it. And it's pre-verbal. They're not even talking yet. But that to me was when kind of the lights went on. But that was more like six to nine months, not even yeah. the first few. So it's a, it, it, it happens. And of course we know the benefits in exposing babies to books right away, but maybe we can dial back a little bit on, you know, Shakespeare for newborns. And maybe the point is just that we're, we're creating a habit or creating the idea that this is something that we incorporate into our day. And it's more about us than the baby when it's a, a week old. Baby. Agreed. Agreed. Those, <laughs> yeah. those rhythms that will kind yes. of, yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, I have another one and I know there are those of you out there dealing with this challenge and that is a kid or a little kid, toddler preschooler who just won't sit still to be read yeah. to bedtime or anytime. Did any of your kids fall into this category? Megan? Oh my goodness. Yes. <laughs> But here's the thing. I mean, a preschooler who won't sit still for snack time, (laughs) bedtime, I don't know, tying their shoes time is also not going to sit still for a story. Like it's not like a magical, you know, literacy um, cloud comes over their head and they're like, oh, now I am learning. So now I need to sit still. That's just really unrealistic. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. And I think thankfully there's a lot more understanding about this. Um, Early childhood educators and stuff understand that we used to think kids who were kind of wandering around weren't listening. But in fact, I think some brains need that motion. So they are, they may actually be a, that may be the preferred way for them to absorb. So I would say if my first tip would be to let a kid move who needs to move as long as everyone's safe and, you know, just keep reading. If, if that's yeah. all that it takes is to let them be active or have a, a toy in their hand or a fidget toy or be bouncing on a yoga ball, um, that does not mean they're not engaged or that you're 
failing at story time. And the other thing I was going to say is there's a lot of great books now that invite more interaction. Um, and you may have a kid who's on the other side of the room seeming like they're not listening because they're busy. But if you get to a page that, um, I don't know if you've seen, Megan, those books, the press here, and there's a bunch of them. The author's called Hervé Toulet. I definitely um, know that name. I'm not sure about the books, but yeah. But you're supposed to like, there's interaction with the pages. Um, yes. And I can guarantee those little wigglers will kind of come over curious and push mm-hmm. here and do this. And so there's, I think there are types of books to engage that busy, the busy bodies too. Yeah, I know that for me, like I had two very, I'm going to call them kinesthetic learners, <laughs> meaning they were like wiggly and they never sat still. Um, they really love those touch and feel books that are really supposed to be aimed at like infants and toddlers, but they use them. There's not really much to read in a lot of them. Like they're, they're typically like soft, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like the ones with the fuzzy, yeah, oh yeah. crinkly, mm-hmm. um, or like a mirror, but they, they hung on to those and would really flip through them and like engage with them long after I thought that they outgrow them. So I wonder if there's something there as well, like that need to touch and feel or Mm -hmm. act or, or even act out stories. Like Mm -hmm. I've definitely had times when I've been reading a story to a particularly wiggly in my case, both, they were both boys. Um, and look over and I'm like, I think they're actually doing what they hear me saying. Like Mm -hmm. that's how they're, they're bringing the story into their bodies. And if you've got really active kids and they're, they learn that way, like encourage it because that's how they'll can, that's how they'll learn best. And if they learn how to, I don't know, channel that and then maybe they get older, control it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. My oldest uh, wiggler, Isaac, he's not my oldest son, but he's my oldest wiggly son. (laughs) um, Still paces. He doesn't, you know, he can sit through a day now. He doesn't need, he, he about seven or eight years old outgrew the need to run around all the time but he paces and that's how he learns. Mm -hmm. I can tell how he's processing. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I think a lot of this one is expectations and, and, and our own image of what story time should look like. And what it might unfortunately lead to is thinking that a kid doesn't like to be read to, or doesn't need to be Mm -hmm. read to, um, when in fact they probably get just as much joy and enjoyment. It just looks different. So I would say, let them move and keep reading like, you know, and just, it's, it's unfortunate that we have this image of the serene and still, and, and quite frankly, that preschools and schools have this image of children sitting quietly with their hands folded, listening, because that's also not, not necessarily the case. Hopefully we're kind of expanding our understanding there. Okay, so we have been talking about tips for bringing more reading into your own home with your own kids, but I want to pause here, Megan, and talk a little bit more about Save the Children, our sponsor today. Now, you guys know we don't love keeping reading logs as homework, but we do love that this is an easy way parents and kids can do something they enjoy and help others at the same time. So we thought we'd share some tips for making this a little bit easier to pull off even during busy end of summer back to school season. So my first tip is really simple. Just set a daily goal. Talk to your kids about the challenge and get them excited about helping other kids and then decide on a number of minutes you'll read together. Yeah, I love that tip. It's so simple. And also keep in mind what motivates your child. So, you know, some might just be motivated by the idea of helping out another kid. Um, Some might be motivated by the special mom uh, mom and child time they'll get um, reading with you. And then some actually really love making everything into kind of a game and counting. I know a couple of my boys, um, Isaac and Owen were like the kind where if I made anything have a point system, they were super into Mm -hmm. it. And that was how I survived their preschool years. So kids like that might love watching the counter go up. So if you go to savethechildren.org slash read and input the number of minutes you've read, you're going to see that reflected in the counter. And that might really excite a kid who likes to see those numbers climb and know that their contribution counted. 
Totally. Another quick tip is to pair the daily reading to something else that happens daily. After all, we're not talking about a ton of time here. So in my house, there's a two o'clock coffee break where I pour myself an iced coffee and the kids almost make fun of me for how regular this (laughs) is. So I'm just thinking we add a little reading together time to two o'clock coffee break. I love that. Um, Another thing you could do, I know that we aren't all in love with reading logs that the kids get from school, but for a lot of us, they're just a fact of life. So if you've already got a reading log, you can tie it to your school's reading log. Keep in mind that logging your minutes at savethechildren.org slash read is really easy and you don't have to download anything or keep track of reading over time. You literally just type in the number of minutes and hit submit. So if you've already been tracking reading time with another log throughout the week, you can just choose one day a week and enter all the minutes at once. All right. And here's one I'm totally doing. Put your kids in charge of the logging. It's really easy to submit the number of minutes you've read and letting your kids log their own minutes will be fun for them. My older two kids are getting pretty savvy with a web browser, but I'm still a little bit stingy about when I let them on the computer and what I let them do. So they will think this is a real treat. So this is a no brainer, right? It's a concrete thing you can do at home with your child to support Save the Children's Early Literacy Programs, but it also helps you get in more reading time with your child. So it's a win-win. Yep. And for those of us fortunate enough to have the ability to provide our kids with books at home, it's just a really easy thing to do to make a difference and help all kids learn to love to read, which I know is really important to all of us. Remember, they're hoping for 100 million minutes total. So the sooner you get started, the sooner Save the Children will reach their goal. Okay. So as a reminder, you're going to go to savethechildren.org slash read. Scroll down to where it says get started, enter the number of minutes you've read and click submit. Easy as that. And you can enter minutes as many or as few times as you want throughout the day. Again, savethechildren.org slash read. Okay, so some of the challenges we're going to talk about um, now are aimed at slightly older kids. Um, Although I do feel like this is still a pretty big age range. I will say that um, Owen, who's 13, just told me the other day that he hates books and hates to read. I know that's not true. Oh, good. You know, you're, you're winning at parenting, <laughs> Megan. I was like, oh, goodness. OK, I mean, I've seen the kid read. I know he loves to read for whatever reason. Right now, yeah. he is in a phase and he's 13. So I'm going to give him a lot of leeway there. But I just want to make it clear that like you can feel like you're winning. It's kind of like your baby gets on a good nap schedule and then um, suddenly without warning, it's all down the toilet yeah. and you have to start again parenting is like that in every regard but so we're going to start with reluctant readers um but let's start with the challenge where we've got a a a child who's at the early stages of reading they're just learning to read they're pre-literate or maybe just getting it and they're not into it right so reluctant yes reluctant (laughs) reluctant to even learn to read almost yeah Um, because i think yeah later we can talk about the kids who know how to read and yet are still reluctant about it. Before we jump into the tips, can we just say one, I want to say one thing after yeah. having watched so many of my kids um, go through, you know, the whole learning to read thing. Sometimes the kids who seem they don't want to learn to read are actually afraid to try to learn yes. to read. Um, and that is something that the way we do reading culturally does not help mm-hmm. a lot of the time. I know Clara was very, she was the one, I lo- I always love the way Clara is so articulate because I feel like she articulates all the things I wish my other kids had told me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But she says them so clearly. I'm like, oh, and I remember her very clearly saying to me, I don't want to try to learn to read because I don't think I'm going to be very good at it. And it was like she didn't want to embarrass herself or Mm -hmm. fail Mm -hmm. or and and it was just like, oh, wow. Now looking back, I can really see how a couple other of my kids who seemed like they just weren't interested were actually kind of afraid to get started. 
And I, I hate to say it, but I think sometimes we accidentally do that or schools accidentally do that by the expectations that we have in kindergarten and first grade around getting everybody caught up. Um, yes. And, you know, there's there's data from other countries and stuff about reading not even being expected or presented. Actually, I'm not sure when it's presented, but definitely not expected until much, much, much later. So, yeah, um, yeah I think that's so poignant and sweet. And I have a six and a half year old who I would say is a, she can read, she can read not all things, but she can read quite a few things, but she is very resistant to uh, any, any discussion of like, would you like to read to me? Do you want to practice with your little Mm -hmm. reader books? None of that. And I don't push that at all at home. And that was one of the tips I think we were going to give is um, if they're traditionally enrolled in school, they are likely getting a lot of that at school. And so at home, we just focus on reading aloud. And I might, you know, still invite or encourage, um, but I'm not, we don't have any expectations around, quote unquote, practicing your reading skills at home. For yes. me, that's how I do it. Yeah, you do it because reading is something that happens in your home and that you want everyone to enjoy. Again, going back to that whole, we're doing this because this is something that is fun and, and that we love to do. Not because if you don't learn, you know, how to read right now when you're five years old, um, that's it. Right. <laughs> and we should point out that sooner or later, most kids do get it. And the research has shown that early reading does not necessarily make for a better reader. Early exposure mm-hmm. is important, but them actually taking all those pieces and putting them together yes. in a way that looks to us grownups like, quote, reading, mm-hmm. unquote is not necessary by five or six even, or, or even, you know, beyond for them to become eventually a great reader. So um, I also want to point out that when I look back to my childhood, and I know a lot of people do this, we've talked about this a lot on the show, how mm-hmm. we remember things pretty differently from how they really were. And I remember that I learned to read in, and putting that again in quotes at like three, but I didn't really become captivated by books until nine. So mm-hmm. when I look back between the ages of three and nine, and I think of myself as like, a kid who read all the time. I'm not sure that's actually true. I had books. I looked at them, but I didn't become captivated by reading. I didn't become a great comprehender Mm -hmm. until that age. I did a lot of looking at the letters and knowing the words and not really caring about the story Mm -hmm. before that. And I think that that's more common than we necessarily always remember. Yeah, I agree. And that's what the the research is showing, too, that kids who come around to reading later sometimes become the most voracious because they it's almost as if they were waiting for the subject matter to be interesting enough for the work to be worth it. Does that make sense? So I'm picturing like the the stereotypical boy who loves action and fantasy, (laughs) you know, like I'm just going to kind of coast or skip through these boring early chapter books. And when these stories get really interesting oh, wait a second, I now can read a 400 page book because the subject matter interests me. So like you said, the correlation between the earliness and the enthusiasm is not there. And I think this one also comes down to um, the the modeling of books in the home, having books in your home, having books in every room, letting kids see grownups read, letting kids see that reading in books are just, it's not a chore, it's not an obligation, it's not something on a pedestal, it's just a part of how we are as a family. And then the rest, like, you said it will happen. And and not every kid's going to fall in love at the same degree, but they will all become readers. Yeah. Um another thing that I, I was thinking about and I think this could apply to both kids who are learning to read and and kids who are already readers is that literacy learning is more than just looking at a page and telling you what the words say. And talking and writing are also important mm, facets yeah. of literacy learning. And so 
even though the goal is all of our kids will eventually be strong and we're hoping enthusiastic readers, like in the elementary school years, we're still building that groundwork. Sometimes we're building that groundwork all the way through the elementary school years. And so you're your child might not be particularly interested in sitting down and reading a book, but they might want to tell a story or they might be, they might want to write stories. Mm-hmm. Um, those things all matter. And so the vocabulary, the letters, the words, plot, cadence, context, all of those things are really important building blocks of literacy, but there's a variety of ways to get at it. So Clara being one who, when she really wasn't interested in reading too much, but she loved to write stories and she wrote so many stories before she was old enough to spell anything. That's how, that's how Violet is. Violet will write. I've I've sent you pictures of Violet's little writing. She'll write multiple sentences, but does not want to read, but she obviously, she knows the rules because she's writing it. She's just not reading it. Right. And she's putting them together completely phonetically, which is exactly how Clara did it too. And, and so that all leads later to a love of story, which is really what gets us to a love of reading. Um, it's, they're just doing it a different way and that's totally fine. Yeah. And you know who can be a great resource to you in this phase of learning to read is your child's teacher. It may seem from the things that are being sent home, the the sight words and the homework, that the expectation is everybody is, you know, learns to read at the same pace. But I bet if you talk to your child's teacher that they have a, a more nuanced understanding of how this works. And uh, you can just ask if your child is on track, if there's anything else you need to do. And I find that the information we get from school at the kind of uh, macro level can feel like high expectations. But often when you talk human to human with a teacher, you'll hear a very, a much more um, individualized expectation for your child. And not every school and teachers like that, but that's been my experience. More individualized and often more optimistic. Yeah. Sometimes like when things are are taken up to that high level and it gets reduced to statistics and numbers and milestones that were they're supposed to hit. Yeah, it's like reading a what to expect book and your baby's not crawling when they're supposed to be or whatever. Um, if you talked to your family doctor, they might have a very different view yeah. of what's supposed to even means, but right. you're just reading this sort of generalized thing. Yes, agreed. So yeah, talk talk and have a dialogue with your child's teacher. Um, I, I think in most cases, it can help bring down these expectations a little bit. Well, let's continue on this path of reluctant readers, but I'm interested in um, talking about the kids who now have learned to read, but really just don't show an interest in it. Um, and I want to recommend a guide that the New York Times has out called How to Raise a Reader. And it is, it's an online guide and, and it goes ages and stages. Um, and it also has book recommendations. I'll link it up in the show notes. But um, a couple of things they mentioned for this stage. And and I'm thinking a lot about our second, third, and fourth graders who are no longer uh, learning how to read, but do, you know, are expected to read or do book reports or whatever. And um, just a couple reminders that our graphic novels and comic books count as books, books about movies and characters and video game characters that they're already obsessed with. Those count. Um, We can, we can expand what we, nonfiction books count, magazines count. Um, So I think we can expand how we define the reading experience and and lay off the pressure. I mean, at these ages, the kids are doing novel studies at school in many cases, meaning they're working through a chapter book at school with their class. They're doing, um, my kids call it ELA. I don't know if yours do English language arts. Mm -hmm. They're doing language arts activities at school. So provided that there's not some kind of a, a reading delay that's being addressed in some other way, I think we can just let them let them read what they want to read. And if they're not reading a ton outside of school, for me, I don't think I, that's a big concern. It's just the phase that they're in or the kid that they are. Yeah, I, I think that there's, it's really interesting because when kids, they kind of transition from 
learning to read to now I have learned to read what am I going to do with it for the rest of my life? Mm. And we don't all do with reading. <laughs> like mm-hmm. we don't all use our ability to read the same way throughout our lives either. Like there was a time when all I did was read par- uh, books about pregnancy and breastfeeding. <laughs> like that's it. That's all I read for like three years. Literally, I was using the skills I had acquired to inform myself about something that I was interested in, which is kind of like the point, right? Right. I mean, I wasn't reading fiction for fun right then, but that doesn't mean I was never going to again. I've gone in and out of phases. And we've talked about this before with like, your kid might be in the phase right now where they're really into soccer or they're like really into whatever else they're really about. William plays guitar for three hours a night. I mean, he doesn't have a lot of time right now to be reading outside of school, um, especially just for fun, but that's okay because I know that he knows. How, and I'm talking about much older kids now, but like he knows how he's got the skills. He's got the ability. There's interest. He wants to be able to consume information through words, mm-hmm. but he now gets to decide how he's going to use that um, on his, in his free time. And I'm okay with that. Totally. Okay. I, I totally agree. I wanted to mention that for Reed, who is not a reluctant reader, he loves to read, but we did this anyway. We got the complete Calvin and Hobbes box set for his birthday oh, when he turned nine. Yeah. And he had never really encountered, my kids are too young to ever remember original Calvin and Hobbes. And so it was like a new thing. And both of the older two have, I think they've read the complete box set. It's these four large, they're heavy and big. And it, you know, it wasn't cheap. It was like this, this set that we were getting. Um, things like that can become some something fun as a family and can just take the pressure off of, you know, this kid isn't working through a chapter book every night before bed, um, which I think can be the default expectation. We also very heavily leaned on Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> and then they graduated from Calvin and Hobbes into the Far Side comics. Oh gosh, they're so, they're so funny. Many, and they're so funny and there's so many collections. And for a kid who's just developing their sense of humor, yes. like Far Side is perfect. I have funny stories about accidentally returning <laughs> our own Calvin and Hobbes books to the library oh, and no. then accidentally keeping their Calvin and Hobbes books. Like we had this book that I that they told us was overdue and then we had to replace. And I was like, no, I know I returned it. And it turned out one of my kids had checked the same book out that we already had. Then we returned our copy. Oh my gosh. Theirs, That's so funny. funny. That's so, so funny. Well, anyway. I will say that Violet gets very frustrated because the kids will laugh over these um, Calvin and Hobbes cartoons and it, she's just not there yet to read it independently. And there's something about, I actually have a personal policy of I don't read comic books aloud or even graphic novels. I will read anything aloud. I have a really hard time creating a read aloud experience around a comic book or graphic novel. I love that my kids enjoy those. I just have a hard time reading them aloud. So Violet gets stuck where they're giggling over Calvin and Hobbes and they're trying to explain it to her, but it, it's not the same. Yeah. And honestly, even if you did read it out loud to her, I mean, it probably would go right over her head. That's the whole point yeah. of comics, right? And and graphic novels. If you're yeah. not old enough to understand the humor, um, there's, there's so much like angst in those books, yes. um, in the Calvin and Hobbes books, that if you're not at the age to understand it yet, or like the big questions of the world, you're probably right. not there. Yes. Yeah. No, but she'll have that to look forward to. Exactly. So another challenge that I think this kind of plays into this, right, is Sometimes it's hard to find books that keep the kids interested or mm-hmm. it's hard to keep up. So if, if they decide they've suddenly turned on the reading switch, they like want too much content. So it's like the the opposite sides of the same coin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I do have this um, with both my older kids are pretty, they go through things fast and it's been kind of a fun challenge to find ways to keep them reading. Um, I was going to say, it's almost like 
trying new foods. You just keep, you just keep trying and you don't take it personally when they don't like the books that you suggest or that the librarian suggests. Um, you just, I think you can just keep, just keep trying, just keep putting books out in front of them. And they will go through these swings of voraciously going through a series. And then my kids will reread old stuff for a while. And it used to kind of, I used to kind of wonder about that, but again, there is research to support that repetition and even reading below grade level, just for, just for the comfort of reading an Mm -hmm. old familiar Allegra went back and reread the little house books this year. Um, so all of that is, all of that is okay. Um, but I do have a couple of recommendations for finding books for kids who are hard to keep, hard to keep books in front of them. Um, one is a blog called what do we do all day.com blogger's name is Erica. I don't know her personally, but I think she's amazing. And it is, there's over 200 book lists on her site. I've talked about it on this show before, but what I love is she's made her full-time blogging career out of finding off the beaten path book lists. So her book lists, a lot of them are like, you know, books for kids who are not quite ready for Harry Potter or books for kids who like Percy Jackson or books Mm. that are similar to the babysitter's club or great graphic novels to start with. Like her themes are, are so you look at them and you're like, Oh, okay. That's my kid. And she'll do them by age, by grade, by theme, by topic. Um, so find a source. I like that one, but there's other great, um, other great websites that do great book lists and just subscribe get them to your email, get them. And then what I do is I periodically go add them to our library reserve list. So I'm not buying a lot of books that I'm not sure if my kids are going to like. And it's just, I sort of have accepted it as one of the, you know, the benefits of having voracious readers is I've got to keep them like having a kid who's growing a lot. You got to keep them in clothes that fit. Like it's not bad or good. You just have to do it. Yeah. So Clara is in a stage right now where she's consuming a lot of books and a lot of them are in this genre. I don't even know how I would describe it except as like, preteen drama books. Mm -hmm. So she will describe them to me. And it's always like somebody died or someone's parents died or (laughs) someone's dying. Like there's, (laughs) there's always some really huge dramatic hook. And so sometimes it makes me crazy because it is kind of like, it is the equivalent of brain candy. It is like, yeah. yeah. And sometimes I'm like, but this is really good book. I want you to read. And as long as like the good book keeps kind of getting in front of her, I know eventually she'll circle around to it. Mm -hmm. But right now she's having so much fun just consuming and there's endless of them. There's Mm -hmm. so many books like that. And she's still, I mean, she's reacting emotionally to the book. Like that's what really matters. Like she's, she's getting involved in the story. She's reacting emotionally. She's probably never going to go back and read some of these books again. That's not really what they're meant for. Yeah. They're like, you know, the candy bars, but that's okay because that they're all kind of promoting, I guess, what I want to see from her. And that is a love of reading. And, and she will circle back around. I read a lot of candy bar books as a preteen. And I later was a English literature major and read, managed to get through a lot of the classics too. Um, I will say a plug for Common Sense Media. If you're not familiar, Reed is now, Reed, he is nine, a new nine and reading some adult science fiction. And Brian, of course, is excited about this because Brian loves to read and love science fiction. And we've had a couple conversations where I've just said, hey, can you make sure that there's no like adult romance situations? Right. <laughs> or like, I don't, yeah. I, for me, me personally, I don't care about bad language. I, I have a real like liberal stance on swear words. That doesn't bother me. Um, I'm okay with the action an adventure and the scariness factor, as long as my kid is okay with it. Like my kids have a pretty good sense for when something feels too scary for them. So my main things would be adult 
relationship situations or, or maybe cyborg adult relationship. Oh gosh, probably. I've seen that as well. Yes. Um, or it's very disturbing. Maybe, uh, maybe a ton of violence, like uh, yeah. more than just your average. And so I asked Brian, Brian brings, brought home these books that are great books, by the way, The Martian by Andy Weir, which was made into a movie. Um, the one Ready Player One. I mean, these are like really highly regarded books, but uh, Brian's memory was that they were fine. They're going to be fine. He's going to love uh-huh. them. And I was like, we don't remember that one scene, that one exactly. scene. So <laughs> thanks to Common Sense Media to the rescue, um, they will break down exactly what parents need to know. And so for me, like, I really don't care about swear, like swear words at all. So I'm like, okay, well that's fine. And this is fine. And there's no, you know, there's no sex or violence. So we're good. Um, so that's just, as your kids get into that more adult area, that's always a yeah. good way to check it out. And also I will say that the whole like young adult um, dystopian future <laughs> genre has exploded and there's tons of them that are appropriate for kids pretty young, yeah. but also kind of fun for adults to read. So yeah. like that whole, that whole genre really offers a lot. Like, so if you're, um, if you or your partner really love that kind of book, but want to share it with your kid, but maybe are a little bit afraid of the material being a little over their heads, um, look into some of that stuff. Cause yeah. it's, it, it can be quite, I'm not even really big into sci-fi or, um, but I have, I have enjoyed reading a few of those, like they're kind of like the hunger games yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. It's like a history, like it's like a new old world, dystopian uh-huh. future, you know, I would like to read The Hunger Games. I haven't. And I um, kind of feel like that would be a good escape for me and that there's a reason. There's a reason they were so popular. Exactly. Okay. Well, the final challenge that we wanted to just talk about, and I I just have a couple maybe final thoughts. I'm sure you do too, is that life gets busy. That is the challenge as kids get older. Um, Let's pretend that we've put the building blocks in place with the newborns and the toddlers, and we've made nightly reading a part of the routine. I am in this phase of, you know, six, nine and 11, where evenings get busier, um, bedtimes get pushed back, homework enters the picture. So. I guess my hope, I'll just speak for me where I am right now. My hope is that like the routines and the rituals we've put into place um, have set the foundation and my kids are readers and we read together as a family, but I'm also always looking for ways to keep books as like almost like a family value. So mm-hmm. that book swap party I mentioned at the very beginning of the show was like a really fun, a fun thing to do. Um, and my 11 year old had so much fun swapping books with her friends. Um, we, we still annually pick out a new Christmas book every year as a family, or I might pick it up and bring it home and read it. Um, the first day of summer, I've started a tradition where we go get breakfast and then we go to the bookstore and the library, usually both, but, um, we, we I already have a, booklist printed and we'll buy some books. So I'm looking for ways because the truth is that they are out of my evening control a little bit more and I'm not going to pressure them. I'm not going to say you have to read an hour a day. So I guess for me, it's looking for those sort of, um, rituals and maybe traditions around reading to keep it alive. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if you have anything, any other final thoughts on that, but life gets busy. Yeah. Life does get busy. And I think it's important to acknowledge that as your kids get older, your involvement in reading is going to be different. Like you're probably not going to be reading out loud to your teenager at night is my guess. At least I don't, I might every now and then still read something out loud to my kids, but it just looks very different. Now reading tends to be something we do independently, but sometimes together, which is the Mm -hmm. way I like it. Like we'll often have a time where we're sitting around reading together, which is such a cozy and pleasant Mm -hmm. thing. And I feel like having time where my living room, um, which we don't, really have a great TV situation in there. Anyway, it really just lends itself nicely to everyone quietly spending time 
together individually and independently reading. Um, it's it's funny that you mentioned going to the beach in the summer because I I found myself getting into this thing where I would bring a book with me to the beach, but then expect my kids to run and play. And I was mm. like, well, that's not fair. What if they want to sit and read yeah. too? Like, like maybe we could all sit and read at the beach. So now if that's something, I, I have kids who don't particularly want to go to the beach because they don't really like doing beach. Like yeah, they don't that's how wanna, Reed is too. Yeah. yeah. They don't want to build sandcastles anymore. They're not interested in getting cold in the water all the time. So, hey, it's cool. You're just going to go with me. You're mm-hmm. just going to have family time. You don't have to actually play you can bring a book. Um, so it's little things like that, I think too, where it just becomes part of your, like your family culture. Um, the big routines and rituals and also there's the little daily moments. Yeah. Agreed. And, and I, what I find fun at this age is that the kids do have memories of books. You know, I have little nieces and nephews on both sides now, and we have a lot of fun picking out books to gift to them for birthdays and holidays. And it's, it's gratifying to see, it's not like, oh, yay, I raised a reader, like I'm done, but that they do have, they have memories of certain picture books that we'll get out and send to the nieces. And so that's, it's yeah. there it's it, to build upon now. And it's kind of up to them. What kind of reader, like you said, what, what do they want to do with this ability to read? Um, but it's gratifying to see that the, all those little things we did when they were little, they're in there somewhere. Yep, exactly. And sometimes it takes a while for them to come out and show themselves, but everything you do counts. Yep. Okay, so as we wrap up today, we want to thank Save the Children for sponsoring this episode and for the work they're doing to help families in need this school year. Yeah, and Megan, both you and I are committed to logging our own reading time this month with our kids because it's such an easy way to contribute to read a story, change their story, and the awesome work that Save the Children is doing. If we can do it, you guys can too. So go to savethechildren.org slash read. Guess what, Megan? Over 10,000 teens are already using our sponsor, Erica, to help them unplug. That is amazing. Erica, that's Erica with a K, is the social media health app for teens that gives them the tools to unplug whenever they need to for improved health, study focus, sleep, and daily balance. It's so cool how this works to hide distracting apps from your phone at the touch of a button, keeping them out of sight and out of mind without deleting your data. Yeah, you know, teens really get that social media comes with risks, including addiction. And Erica helps them build healthy habits and self-regulation that will benefit them their whole lives. Tell your teens about Erica and save 20% on the Erica family plan with promo code THEMOMHOUR. Go to erica.app and search for plans. That's Erica with a K, E-R-I-K-A dot A-P-P and use code THEMOMHOUR to save 20%. Sarah, I have been having just the best time making my new podcast, The Teas Made. I launched back in November, and so far I've covered topics like staying warm on cold winter walks, nurturing creativity, how to be a great host, and even Nordic secrets to loving winter. Well, you know I am fan number one of The Teas Made. It's got such a cozy vibe, and it seems like you've really hit your stride in covering topics like wellness, self-care, comforting rituals and routines, and home and family life. Just look for The Teas Made with Megan Francis wherever you get your podcasts or head to theteasmade.com to find all the episodes. 